Yo, Trey. Kevin, what's up, man? You know, I've been thinking, what would have happened if the NBA never vetoes the Chris Paul trade to the Lakers and we get CP3 in the same backcourt as Kobe in L.A.? Well, you get a very happy Jack Nicholson, for sure. And the Lakers probably win a bunch more championships. CP3 finally gets a ring or two or three. And the Kardashian empire is forever altered. What did you just say? Hey, everybody, I'm Trey Wingo. And I'm Kevin Frazier, and we're teaming up on a new weekly sports podcast from Wondery Alternate Routes. As former sports center anchors and current sports obsessives, we're consumed by all the what-if questions that make being a sports fan so excruciatingly fun. If you're like us, then you also live and die on the fallout from every drop pass. Or play call. Each week on Alternate Routes, we'll take a flashpoint in sports, break down what actually happened, then explore every alternate scenario and the ripple effects it would have caused. Follow Alternate Routes on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. Hello and welcome back to the Chasing Wins podcast. This is uh, your host, Andre, with Jim and Manu, uh, regular co-hosts here. And uh, we're back. We are three games, or four games now, after our last episode. We went three and one. uh, The Warriors did. And uh, we've been kind of marinating in that loss last night against the Timberwolves. Um, The first thing I want to kind of discuss overall was like, you know, and this has kind of been a common overarching issue is the the lineup change, which began against Boston. Uh, that was the first, uh, that was the inception of it. And the genesis behind it, right, you, you hear different things, whether it was Jordan who kind of initiated it on that front, whether it was Kerr who wanted to spark, um, whatever the case may be, I know that the lineup change has statistically been a negative, and I know that you know when you watch the games with the, you know it doesn't match the eye test either. Like defensively rebounding, things of that nature. What do you guys you know in your opinions? What have you seen uh, from a from an eye test standpoint um, in terms of deficiencies and deficits this starting lineup change has brought, and also from a statistical standpoint, what you know are, is there anything that has popped off the stat sheet? Either one could, uh, Jim or, or Manu. Manu, you can go first. Yeah, so, um, I mean, I think um, the dub starting five is usually king. Like, it has been to this day. Um, like, there's this pre- there's this notion that, that the starting five right now, I mean, sorry, not the starting five of, you know, Steph, Dre, Wiggins, Draymond, and Looney, um, like there's this notion that they've kind of slowed down, but honestly, like um, at least since the Boston game, they've they've still been okay. We just haven't seen most of that because um, they've staggered Draymond and Loon together. Um, in those 16 total minutes since the Boston game, they've had a net, they've had a net rating of 61.1. In just 16 minutes, they've had a plus minus of 16. If you compare that to the Fast Five, um, so you swap out Looney and Pool with Pool. Um, they've played 60 total minutes since the Boston game, and they've had a net rating of negative 6.4 with a total plus minus of 7. Negative 7, sorry. Um, the original lineup has played 2.8 total minutes of the fourth, so the lineup with Loon. I just feel like we should stick more to what we're good at. That should be our base. That should be our default closing lineup. 
Like, yeah, you put in pool at times, Kuminga at times, Di Vincenzo at times, but it, you know, I mean, it depends on the game. It depends on who's been hot and who's been playing a great D and stuff. But again, we need to emphasize that more. I know that we're staggering Draymond and Loon, but we need more Dre and Loon minutes because that's been, that's been holding it down for us. At least, you know, start of the season where we've built those first quarter leads. Um, you know, I feel like we should just hammer home that lineup. We, we need more of that for sure. Jim, what have you seen from a night-to-night basis? It's only been like a handful of games, but it's enough to for you to have a, enough of an opinion um, and a strong opinion at that on the sustainability of you know starting a, a unit like this. What have you seen from a deficiency standpoint? What have you seen po- also from a positive standpoint, um, if anything? What what are your observations from that standpoint? It's it's hard to come up with uh, many positives out of this just because the stats are overwhelming uh, as well as just just from the eye test you can see some of the inconsistencies and the deficiencies that come about on both ends of the floor um, offensively this is not a good offensive lineup part of the uh, advantage that they're supposed to have is when you have four starters that are 20 plus point scorers well that should technically sound like oh you should be unstoppable like everybody's able to score right but there's just a lack of hierarchy and third quarter of last night's game is a really good example of that where they ultimately were able to score 22 points in quarter three and then they managed to score 17 points in quarter four and this is after scoring 71 points through the first half so there are segments of the game where it gets really good, right? But uh, when, for example, Curry was also in foul trouble. But in that third quarter, I counted the first 15 possessions on um, Curry's involvement in the offense in the first seven minutes of the third quarter. And there were 15 possessions. And Curry was Curry had the ball four times. And it yielded you know, positive to negative results, but he just, there was no consistency to Curry, you know, being involved enough. When uh, Jordan is a part of that lineup, there's just no consistency. It's it's random more than anything. And so when you're not prioritizing your number one option, right, even Clay only got one shot during that stretch and their offense was terrible. And this is kind of where the Warriors lost that momentum that, that they had in that first half. So offensively, they've shown that this this particular lineup with Curry, Clay, and Jordan playing together is not good. Actually, when those three play together, and let's say you take Wiggins out of the equation and you put uh, Kevon Looney and Draymond Green alongside those three, they have a horrible offensive net rating. Uh, I mean, a horrible offensive rating and a defensive net rating. They have an overall net rating of minus 17. Uh, and that's the fourth most used lineup for the Warriors. And um, that's a major compromise. And it's just not worth doing if if the team is bad on both ends of the floor. You know, and I like what you said there, right? You you kind of broke down the possessions. You broke down who it affected, this, this idea, this concept of a trickle-down effect. And I do think starting Jordan, it affects, you know, top down, right? So you see it with, you know, Steph. 
Steph, it's in his nature to defer. It's in his nature to, hey, let, you know, KD, here's your, you know, here's your few possessions. Here's your touches. Post up, bring the ball up. Hey, Draymond, make the play here. I'll, I'll, I'll go off the ball. I'll create some stuff. You, you make the uh, appropriate read and, and we'll go off that. Or like Clay, um, you know, from that standpoint, Clay's kind of more of a catch and shoot guy. Motion, um, you know, he likes to, you know, attack closeouts with the, two dribble pull-ups. Um, so there's some, you know, possessions there that you're kind of missing. And then also, so, you know, you got Steph with the deferring, who's kind of leaning into it a bit, who who seems a little discombobulated out of rhythm at times. You got Clay, who is typically the second guy from a shot standpoint, who's usually off ball in rhythm and moving. And then you got Draymond, who's generally the playmaker, the hub of the offense. And, then you also have Wiggins, who you know he's a v, you know V cuts the baseline stuff, the catch and shoot threes on the wing, the you know creation in the mid range and the downhill ability. All of those things are getting you know it's difficult to balance it when you add a fourth shot creator, scoring Jordan Poole, and defensively you lose the rebounding of Looney, the switchability, the big six ten body that he brings, the frame. Uh, the rebounding at standpoint, um, and the versatility overall, and and then you you know you bring him off the bench where he's still effective, but it takes away from the starting lineup because it doesn't add the qualities that he does to round out and complete what the starting unit requires to be what you know the t- plus twenty three it is on the season. Anything to uh, add on that or? Yes. So uh, first thing, let me just finish off that little point that I made in the beginning about last night's third quarter with the seven minutes that Steph Curry played. uh, And he had to sit early because of foul trouble, right? But they managed to score 12 points in that span in those 15 possessions. That's really bad offense, man. That's really bad offense. Curry just wasn't involved enough. And eventually it got to a point where in the fourth quarter, he was completely out of rhythm. And even Clay was just totally, both of them, just didn't have anything going, right? So I wanted to finish off on the importance of prioritizing correctly. Even though you have four scorers, you still have to regularly prioritize where the offense starts and what is the structure, right? And that uh, part of that is on Steve Kerr to kind of organize all of that. It can't just You can't just throw them out there and just say, play random basketball. It just doesn't work. Now, having said that, even Jordan Poole in the starting lineup, part of the whole notion uh, is that Jordan plays better when he's in the starting lineup. And that's generally been true. His production is way higher as a starter. But that's always been the case when he's filling in as a replacement for whether, whether it's for, for Clay or it's for Curry. And when that happens, good things happen. However, when you try to put him in there, force force him in there alongside Curry and Clay, it just doesn't work. Even for Poole, you look at the last five games, his you know, shot attempts is 13 shots, 12 shots, 8 shots, 14 shots, 11 shots. He's not getting a ton of shot attempts either. And it, this is also uh, disallowing him to be consistent. He was actually more consistent coming off the bench. He's, the Warriors used this entire season to kind of figure out a formula so that uh, they can maximize Poole's opportunities when he's on the floor. But with the starting unit, he's inconsistent, and then it, it limits 
how effective he can be overall. Uh, you get, we have to remember that Jordan Poole, the Warriors are paying him a ton of money, right? So if he looks kind of out of sync, out of rhythm, and he doesn't know what to do as a part of the starting lineup, that's not a good formula for him either. So, And I want to give a shout-out to Shadow a little bit uh, in the spaces because he pointed out something really important, and I'm going to speak on that. And it's the fact that when Jordan Poole is coming off the bench, he's technically sacrificing for the team because he is a starter-level player in this league, and he's a star starter-level player in this league. So for him to come off the bench, it's definitely a sacrifice for him. However, when he's coming into the starting lineup, then everybody else around him has to now sacrifice on Jordan Poole's behalf. And, 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 and this is this was the big point. Yeah, exactly. And that's what I was trying to refer to earlier, where there's this imbalance. There's this need to with Steph. Steph is the dude who's like, look, give me Clay, give me Wiggins, Draymond Looney anchor defensively, and they'll play, make, they'll screen, they'll dive, they'll uh, you know, they'll make the appropriate reads. Clay will stand in the corner, move off the ball, the 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 you know, the pin downs, the curls, that type of thing. And then Wiggins gonna be the slasher. When you add another shot creator there, it's like, oh, it's almost like the Kevin Durant thing where, oh, I have a guy I could throw the ball into the post to. Oh, I have a guy that can put, you know, create off the dribble, create off the bounce, and and like you're saying, what Shadow referenced earlier, Steph now has to sacrifice. Or he feels the need. It's in Steph's nature to say, hey, KD, cook. Hey, Wiggins, go downhill. Hey, Draymond, make a play. Hey, Clay, run a pick and roll. It's in Steph's nature to be, you know, it's he's naturally unselfish. And then you add a guy like Jordan who it's in his nature to be, a, you know, more aggressive, you know, downhill, create shots, flashy, those sorts of things. Not necessarily as efficient with his possessions as Steph is. And so it takes away from, you know, Steph's strengths in, to some degree. Then with Clay, you got Clay kind of being phased out because the off-ball chemistry and flow isn't as sharp or as refined uh, because of, you know, just the the the, the nature of, of that lineup of that of the of the skill set out there. And then you have Wiggins who, who's just kind of floating. He's kind of cutting when he needs to, but he doesn't really know where to be. They're not really running him, you know, ball screens. He's kind of standing in the corner on the wing, floating out there, and it's not there's really less direction for him. And then you got Draymond, who is supposed to be this, you know, the hub, the passer, kind of creating some stuff with guys moving off the ball. The ball is out of his hand, so he's more used as a screener now, diving, rolling, that sort of thing out of the short roll, all those, all those, all that stuff. But again, it's not, it doesn't make the others as effective on either end. Now you're requiring Steph to be more point of attack. You're requiring Wiggins to rebound at a higher level at, at the four, uh, at the power forward spot. You're requiring Draymond to have to guard centers and put and then be effective offensively um, as a screener as opposed to as a uh, playmaker. So you know these dynamics kind of compound. You know Wiggins, there's more required of him, but not just more a different set of skills. Clay, there's more required of him. But also a different set of skills. Now you're watching. Look at Clay's rebounding numbers. He's been more active there, but his shots have not. He's not been in as much rhythm shooting wise. Then you look at Steph. Up and down. You know, shots will fall. Shots don't fall. Sometimes he defers. Sometimes he's aggressive defensively. Sometimes he's called to the carpet. He was in. He's been in foul trouble. 
the past few games um, because more is required of him. Then you look at, uh, you know, Wiggins, like I mentioned earlier, he, he doesn't have direction in the offense. So exactly what you said um, and what Shadow was referencing last night, like when Jordan comes off the bench, he's the one sacrificing. When Jordan's starting, it's the others that have to kind of adjust to him a little bit more just because of the nature of the lineup and the skill set that's presented. Um, and this is not, and again, this is not like a shot at Jordan. This isn't trying to tear him down. He's 23 years old. He's ahead of his years uh, from a skill standpoint, from a maturity standpoint, all those things. But this is more so a an analysis of what's gone wrong in terms of the starting lineup as a whole, right? Like the stretches of the game where we're seeing them struggle to close out defensive possessions because we can't get rebounds or offensively it kind of stagnates because there's a little bit less movement. Guys are not, you know, there may be a little bit more pick and roll as opposed to the motion. And I know Jim is in favor of that, but also it takes away from Clay's strengths and Steph's strengths. So there's this balance here from a skill set and, and, and ability standpoint. And then there's this balance fr- from a um, chemistry and continuity standpoint. And when you combine the two, there's a lot of talent out there, but it's difficult to navigate and and to um to put together consistent stretches at this point. And I also want to mention like some of it, it's not just the starting lineup. There's other issues going on here. Some of it is poor effort for stretches of the game, right? And I think less so the last week or so or last week or two as opposed to maybe 2-3 weeks ago. But some of it is poor effort at times, but I think they've they've really you know, hunkered down on the defense and, and locked in on that, and the, especially like the last month or so as a whole. Some of it's just getting outplayed and in terms of variance. Teams are just hitting shots. Rebounds are just flying, falling into their hands. And some of it's the lineups we put out there for sure. But the league has caught up. And, and I said this last episode, and I've been thinking this for the past couple of weeks, like from an 82, from an 82 game standpoint, the league has caught up to the Warriors. From a 16-game standpoint, I don't think they have. You know, in terms of execution, when the when it's in the half court, when the game is slowed down. Um, and some of it's also just purely bad execution. Uh, just shots are not falling. You saw Steph with the high pick and roll, missed that open midi. Um, some of it's like just a missed rotation here, a botched rebound there, turnover there. Like, it just poor execution from a team that's won four titles. It's a combination of everything, but I will say it is a pattern, right? And we can't, and, and once you build these bad habits and it, and the pattern is established, it becomes a, it becomes a part of your identity. It's a component of the, your DNA as a team that particular season, uh, because it's just, you know, 50 games in, it's difficult to turn it around. I know Manu wanted to add something and then, and then Jim, if Manu's still there. And and you know what you're exactly right. And um, it's and everybody wants the quick fix. Everybody wants, you know, there's they want to point it to one thing and and diagnose it. It's not one variable, right? There's a multitude of factors going on here. The, it's the starting lineup. It's on Steph, right? Because Steph, ter- some bad turnovers, right? Especially in the fourth, some missed shots that were are pretty makeable by his standards. Um. And then overall, like, you know, you, you, 
you uh, you live and die with the, your players at the top, right? Def- Draymond on defense, Steph on offense. It you that that's kind of you live and die by those guys, how they play, how they close. Um, I was like, look at the finals last year. Steph closed out the deal in isolation, in the switch, in the drop. Whatever the Celtics threw at him in games four through six, he was the one better than the Celtics' best player, you know, Tatum. He was the one who came through in the clutch. When it came to closing time, he was the one who came out on top. He was the one who effectively made made the most out of those possessions more. And D'Lo last night, and I'm, this is, again, this is not an indictment, a referendum on Steph Curry or his career. I'm just saying, last night particularly, D'Lo was the better closer. Against Brooklyn, Kyrie was the better closer. Against Boston, Jalen Brown was the better closer. Right? Like, and then against Oklahoma City, Steph Curry was the better closer. Right? Like, that's just the nature of the game. If your best player, you it starts and ends with Steph Curry. Particularly offensively. And then defensively, we know it starts and ends with Draymond. But it starts and ends with Steph Curry. He needs to want, be the one. I felt there were too far too many times last night. And he looked unsettled himself. But he was really doing a poor job of, of not settling the team down. You know, we're up by six. We're up by two. We're up by eight, ten, whatever the case may be. Get a good possession. Wind the clock down. Run, you know, pick and roll, a curl, some type of set play. You know, and he did it a couple times, but not enough. He threw that, you know, uh, turnover that sailed out of bounds, couldn't even get past half court um, in the fourth when I think we were up by one. He had a another turnover after, you know, it was an 11-point lead. He throws kind of this outlet pass that gets picked off by Nas Reed for a layup. That's a momentum swinging play. A lot of people actually chalk that play up to, to the comeback overall. He missed some makeable shots, but we can live with that. It's the mistakes. It's the repeated errors. It's the pattern of not being focused or or diligent and and really conservative with his possessions. That doesn't mean you play scared. It just means you play, you know, being mindful that you have an 11-point lead. Let's get a good shot here, but let's not, you know, go too early. Let's not make a reckless pass. Let's be sound with our possessions. And I really do believe he just didn't he didn't do a good job of that last night. I I don't think he's done a good job with it uh with that you know aspect to the to to the game um at all maybe against OKC right and other than OKC he struggled to do it against these other teams uh Toronto he did he did a good job with that actually i'll say Toronto OKC for sure um so i'll give him credit there but then also you give him credit where it's due you also have to say he has to be better in other situations and i think it's a more so a, a testament to the consistency uh you know, he does it, you know, Steph, it starts and ends with Steph, right? So I'm going to speak on Steph. He's done it sometimes where he's been great in the closing stretches, making the right plays, making the right reads, settling us down, taking shots, make even making shots, all that stuff. But then he's also had stretches where he hasn't done that and a combination of that. He's had the turnovers and then compounded it with missed shots. He's had this possessions where he's, you know, lost defensively. He's had possessions where, uh, you know, just turnovers. It's such a mixed bag. Uh, I just think, and it starts with your leader, right? But also, you got to set your leader up for success. And and starting certain guys and, st- and, and just the lineups that are out there, um, 
it just needs to be it just needs to be better on all fronts, right? We can't just pin it only on Steph. But he deserves the the lion's share of the blame because he's he's the best player. And I just think he needs to just close better. I I also think we can diagnose this with the starting lineup. We can diagnose this with not enough, you know, we need to shore up the back end of the roster, make a trade. And I agree with all that, by the way. I'm pro trade. Uh Depend, you know, depending on the scenario, of course, not just any any type of trade. But I'm also pro hold your best player accountable for not closing, right? You got to, he's got to close, and he did against Boston in the finals, and he and he, you know, he's done so sometimes this year, and sometimes he hasn't, right? So it starts and ends with him. Uh, and I also want to mention, like, there is a little 2019 Celtics vibe going on here you know this conundrum of you know look at that roster like Kyrie uh Jalen Brown Gordon Hayward Al Horford Marcus Smart Marcus Morris uh Jason Tatum all of these mouths to feed all of these high level players who need the ball need their touches need their shot attempts um and that team flamed out embarrassingly because they could never calibrate properly. Find that balance. They all and I forgot to mention Terry Rozier, right? So like all these guys who are just scorers, this overlap of skill set, and I'm not saying that we're that. I'm saying there's shades of it, and there's a way to balance it out, um, so that everybody is can manage right their lineups and their responsibilities throughout the game and it's more dispersed because right now I feel like having Clay and Jordan there's the redundant skill set there in the starting lineup then you pile that on with Steph who's taking more of an off off ball playmaking type of role um off ball playmaking like in terms of just screens and then I'm talking about like just playmaking just facilitating outlet passes and that's added to the turnovers right so I just feel like we're at our best when Steph is aggressive and sure of, you know, the dynamic overall. When we're leaning a bit, you know, more defensive. There's a reason why our starting lineup traditionally, you know, the the, the traditional lineup is the best starting five or best five-man unit in the league at plus 23. Like, there's a reason for that. Because of the balance, right? They have like a 106 or 107 net, uh, defensive rating. That would be the best in the NBA. That would rank the best. Right, so, um, and you can do that for any team, right? There may be a couple other teams that have a better defensive rating, but I'm just saying this lineup is the best objectively, and that defensive rating that they produce rivals any other team, rivals the Bucks, rivals the Cavs, rivals whoever. There's no five-man unit that's better overall from an offensive-defensive standpoint, and defensively, there's a reason why they are where they are, right? So, I just want to, you know, there there isn't just one player that we can just point this to, right? It's it's a multitude of factors. It's a multivariate uh, issue here. And having said that, also I want to say like, let's I want let's talk about the uh, Steve Kerr front office. I don't even want to say front office. Steve Kerr Joe Lacob thing, right? We're just gonna call it what it. I mean, I'm gonna call it what I, how I see it. And then if you if you uh, have any disagreements or, or input on this because I want to spend the last 10-15 minutes on this topic. Because this is an interesting thing, right? We can talk about lineups, we can talk about 
players and performance and failure, success, reputation, ex- expectations, all these things. We can talk about on-the-court stuff. But there's also things going on off the court that have contributed to the roster construction and ultimately the product that's out on the court um, on a night-in, night-out basis and the year as a whole, right? And we can go all the way back and try to contextualize everything and recap everything. But I think we'll just keep it simple. I think yesterday Bob Myers came out on 95.7 radio. And he was talking about basically the trade deadline. And he was talking about how he was he is not comfortable with the margin for error we have right now. And I just found that fascinating because if you've been in spaces right on Twitter and you know we have our pregame and post games and post game after losses especially like even 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 after wins I'll, I'll always say that you know this season since November I've been saying we it feels like our margin for error is thinner and thinner than last year and I know we touched on this last episode too but after spaces after wins and losses alike I I have been consistent in terms of my belief that our margin for error is just not what it should be from an injury standpoint, absorbing that from a uh, roster construction standpoint in terms of, you know, effective role players, the wing types. And I think we replaced the GP2 role fine with Dante. They do different things, but in a vacuum, the impact is there. But what we didn't replace was the auto role, right? Like a big wing who can kind of slide at the five, who can make certain reads and rebound at a high level, a body out there who's reliable, consistent, and, and uh, you know, seasoned. So we're missing that, right? Anthony Lamb has gotten some run. He's gotten less run of late. You look at a guy like Kaminga, who's been on the rise. Uh, he's gotten some tick. He's been great, phenomenal on both ends. So you really can't ask more of him, but it just still feels. And Bob said this himself. Uh, you know, another guy added to the roster, another piece would be, you know, very helpful because to have another wing out there, like you know, and we can throw out names: uh, you know, Matisse Thybul, who's floated around uh, in the uh, in the trade rumors. You look at uh, a guy like Jared Vanderbilt, who's been considered available for a first round pick there are guys out there who are like the six 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 seven archetypes that can switch that can rebound that are defensive minded and I it just feels like we have another solid reliable piece out there you know it just fortifies the bench and it gives you alternative combinations to close with with the starters Right, so you have, you know, instead of Dante, you can go with a guy like Thibel maybe one night if you want to lean more defensive. You can go with Dante if you want to lean more offense. You go with Jared Vanderbilt if you want to have a combination of both, right? A guy who can dive, a guy who can play the dunker spot, a guy who can make simple reads. He, he's an underrated playmaker. You have options, right? You want, to, you want to give yourself as many options as humanly possible and combinations to close. You don't want to have less options and, and, and pigeonhole yourself into certain combinations to where you have less versatility because versatility is the name of the game. And 
I yeah, Manu, I want to ask you about what you think about this Steve Kerr, Bob Myers thing because Bob is on radio talking about margin for error. He doesn't like where it's at. He feels like they're you know, it's a combination of needing and wanting to make a move at the deadline. And then Steve Kerr, the last couple of weeks, essentially a cry for help, right? Like basically saying we need more size, you know, with Jermichael and Wiseman being out a couple of weeks ago, Draymond and Looney being worn down and heavy minutes and the load, et cetera, et cetera. And then lo and behold, they're healthy. They come back and available. And, oh, we have too many centers now. We don't have, you know, there's too many options. And we just got to stick with Loon and Dre. And it's just this yo-yo effect of, you know, this game of chicken almost. Where, you know, Steve kind of has this direction uh, that he wants to move towards. He doesn't really, he's not in favor of the young guys, uh, the the youth movement. And Joe Lacob is more so in favor of, you know, investing in the future, playing the young guys, you know, having them improve and and with the vets uh, and having them develop. And it's this clashing of ideologies, this, you know, two timelines concept. And Steve is, is just clearly not bought in, right? He hasn't really played Wiseman much since the Memphis game on Christmas that I can remember. Uh, And, and I know Wiseman had that injury, but he's been out long enough. And then you got Moody who's, racked up the DMPs. You got Kaminga, who's earned playing time, right? But even he's his minutes aren't as high as maybe one should expect. And you have this rift that, you know, between the front office, and, and I don't want to even say front office, like I said, Joe Lacob, because Bob Myers caught in the middle. He's Bob Myers, is it's clear that he's uncomfortable with, you know, Steve in his ear, I'm sure, saying we need another piece, and Lacob in his ear saying... You know, we need to accelerate uh, this youth movement. It's just this cold war, right? And in a way, and I, I just, the last point on this, and then I want to get your input. In a way, a trade may be the only thing that saves our season. And I'm not even speaking from a necessity standpoint. I'm speaking from a directional standpoint. Because there's so much nuance to what I'm saying. So I want people to understand. Like, when I say Cold War, there are hostile, there's hostility going on. There's practices, there's behaviors, there's quotes between the lines. And this atmosphere of strain that I'm seeing between these two parties. Uh, Who's going to break first, right? Who's going to give in? Is it going to be Lakeup? Is it going to be Kerr? Kerr doesn't want to play these certain young guys, right? Because he doesn't think that in the long haul, they're going to be reliable pieces, and he wants upgrades. Myers is caught in the middle of this. He's voicing this to Lakeup, I'm sure. Uh, I'm sure Lakeup is aware, but Myers is caught in the middle of this because Lakeup wants the young dudes to play. He doesn't want to give them up in a trade. And if this continues on, right, because we're running seven-man rotations, if this continues on and nothing happens after the trade deadline, we're stuck with this roster, which means nobody can have an off night in terms of a core player or get injured because the way this team is, right, the way it's constructed, it's 
built for the core players to not have the margin for error they did last year, right? Uh, and so Kerr, is he going to continue with the seven-man rotation 60 games in? And then for the last 20, 30 games, is he going to start playing Moody and Jermichael and Wiseman and all of these younger players, more minutes to gear up for the playoffs? You see what I'm saying? Like, it's this it's this give and take of, well, if Kerr's not going to play them now and they're still on the roster later, where does that leave him? But if they're on, you know, if if... If um and then if they get traded, you still have to integrate a new acquisition. So right now, I don't like where the direction is of the team in terms of the stability. I just don't think we're in a good spot. And I know I went on there for like ten minutes on just breaking that whole thing down. But what are your thoughts on kind of what I just outlined, like in terms of the roster construction, but not necessarily who's on the roster, but like. Kerr's philosophy versus Lacob's beliefs and and hit the direction he wants to move. What do you think? How do you think this is going to play out? Because in one week the trade deadline is going to pass by, and we're going to have our kind of this idea of what the roster is going to look like, uh, unless there's a buyout coming along. But even then, so what do you think? Like in terms of that. So yeah, thanks, Dre. What's good, everyone? This is Manu. I also go by the name Warriors Muse on Twitter. What I'm about to say right now is a re-recording of the initial run of the pod for everyone's information. Unfortunately, what I had to say didn't register due to some weird audio issues. But what I'm about to say right now is basically what I said the previous the previous run through and more. So yeah, let's get into it. Based on what I've seen on Twitter, the fan base is in crisis mode. And I won't argue with them. I know we've won three of our last four, at least at least this is prior to the next game, but the way in which we lost to Minnesota was deflating, frustrating. Just when you think we've found some footing in the West, it's as though we're back to square one. We have not found footing in the West at all. Like, okay, I'm, I'm glad we're not trending downwards consistently as of right now, but we're not trending upwards consistently either. The only bright stretch of the season was a five-game home winning streak without Steph and Wiggins. And even then, you'd think after like beating the, the Grizzlies, Hornets, Jazz, Blazers, Hawks, who on average, yes, it's not the hardest schedule on average, but I mean, it isn't the easiest either. You'd think that for the next three home games, for the remaining homestand, you know, You'd think that we'd beat the Pistons without Kate Cunningham, the Magic, and the injury-riddled Suns with, with no Chris Paul, no, no Devin Booker, no DeAndre Ayton, who I, I think lost eight or nine straight before playing us, something like that. You know, at least, ex, you know, ex, at least expected to win like two out of three of those games. And to think Steph returned for that Phoenix game as well. There's no footing. And we can't afford that now. We're 50 games in. We didn't have a good start to the season because we didn't have a good start to the season to lean on, which we are used to, the Warriors dynasty, us seeding well, us getting the regular season success this past decade, obviously excluding Clay's injury years, that Warriors dynasty is built on good runs to start the season. And this season is very different. We started very poorly. We were like 3-7 and seven to start early on. Like the Warriors now this season have to rely on a, on a late run to get some security for the playoffs. 
Last year, we were fortunate to start 18-2, and two, and we rode off of that pretty much, playing 500-level basketball, I guess after New Year's, while our guys were hurt, like Steph, Draymond, Clay, sitting out a bunch throughout the remainder of the season to win. Analysts had us winning 18, we were, analysts had us at 18 games in like around January. We had 18 wins in November already. And that's crazy to think about. The only thing we were concerned about, like late in the season then, at least primarily, was, you know, whether or not we dropped to the fourth seed. I mean, obviously, like Steph's injury concerns. Other than that, fine. But whether or not we would drop to the fourth seed. This season, I would love to have that problem right now. I posted a frivolous stat on Warriors Muse around three months ago, and it said, Since the merger, every Warriors team that was the first seed on December 26 reached the NBA Finals. Warrior teams since the merger that didn't achieve this didn't make the Finals. So in 2015, 16, 17, 18, 19, 22, the Warriors were at the first seed after Christmas. I mean, basically we were in the Finals. And while that stat is, you know, kind of meaningless, it also kind of proves my point that strong starts really do fuel us. And we're usually in peak position at around at around Christmas time. Bottom line for this is that we are in unfamiliar territory, at least at a contending standpoint. And yes, I still label ourselves contenders. We're, I mean, well, we're defending champs and we're, our foundational six is still here, so... We still are contenders. We're just not playing like one right now. Any other team hovering around 550 games in wouldn't really be considered a contender. Maybe the Celtics last year, but that was also due to a crazy run late at around that at around the same time right now where we are this season. So again, we're in unfamiliar territory where we are clawing for consistency in order to just in order to seed well. And speaking about consistency, for all our teams since 2015, at least, you know, those six final seasons, including last year, the mindset was always, with my group of guys, we can beat anyone when healthy. This year, I haven't felt that consistently for an extended stretch. The only thing we've been consistent in this season is being inconsistent. From 15 and to 19, and during a lot of stretches to last season, 2022, those six final seasons, you'd have a handful of st- you'd have a handful of games where the Dubs had like a fifteen point lead, a blowout. Steph doesn't play in the fourth, where the core can rest and fans like myself can rest mentally. You know, we could more or less chalk it up as a, as a win. But this season, it's 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 been the complete opposite. There's always like some sort of trickery that gets opponents back in games. Like we're still getting those leads we had in those you know dy- dynasty seasons. And more often, you know, more often than not now, like the opponents and stuff, they they take over in the fourth or late or late. That that run we've built, at least that big lead we've built early on, is all washed away and it's you know, it's level again. I was holding my breath during that OKC game because it was exactly the same thing we experienced when we played Boston, when we played Brooklyn and Minnesota. It was the same thing. Like you know, we've lost, we've had terrible losses. We've lost to Orlando, Charlotte, Utah, Boston, Brooklyn, Minnesota. Like, you know, all choked up, all, all choked games. 
like I posted a graphic on Warriors Muse from ESPN's win probability. Um, so with eight minutes left against Boston, we had a 90% chance to win. With five minutes left against Brooklyn, we had a 97% chance to win. With 10 minutes left against Minnesota, we had a 96% chance to win. It's crazy. The Warriors can be good. We've seen it. We ran Boston and Memphis out of the building without Wiggins and Stephen Wiggins, respectively. That Memphis game last week last week was fantastic. We closed it out with Steph in the locker room for the last minute. Toronto was solid as well. It's just that sense of urgency and complacency when the Warriors are up, I feel. The Warriors are used to holding it down always. Like, you know, up 15 in the fourth, it's pretty much wraps. If the bench can't get it done, we slot in the starters for two minutes and then it's truly wraps. Like Steph hits a couple J's. Um, Clay hits a good shot. Or, you know, something like that. And then it's truly wraps, right? Truly wraps, right? Sorry about that. Um, but then, you know, they have to understand that while they have that championship DNA, there's a bit of a hurdle to overcome. You know, it doesn't come as easy. Runs are much more apparent these years later and comebacks are much more likely. We can't be complacent. The Warriors literally have to suffer for them to actually play well this season. They have to have some sort of wake-up call for them to win the next game. And even then, that usually lasts for like two games. They have not performed well after a sustained period of success this season. And it's annoying because that's not us. I know the core isn't as young as, you know, as it was before. But I mean, like we won last year. But you'd expect the increased experience levels and championship DNA to offset that when closing it out. You know, the past how many years were win, 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 lose, fine, win, win, win. That, that's been us. Yes, we're older now. And, you know, there are adjustments we have to make. So the Warriors last eight games, again, before Denver. Um, so some of these stats were computed before the Denver game. So we're five and three. We were five and three in our last eight before that Denver game. We were only trailing after three in one of those games. And that was Memphis which we won. If we're up at the end of three, we are more likely to get outscored. Listen to this. Minnesota, up 11, end of three, outscored by 16 in the fourth and OT. Boston, up seven, end of three, outscored by 10 in the fourth and OT. Brooklyn, up four, end of three, outscored by eight in the fourth. Cleveland and OKC, yes, they were wins, but we, ne- but we nearly choked them as well. Cleveland, we were up by 12 at the end of three. They cut it to four. OKC, we were up by nine, end of the three. They cut it to two. We got outscored by both teams in the fourth. And yes, um, you know, Toronto, we were up by four. We pushed through. Washington, we were tied. We outscored them by nine. And obviously Memphis, we were down by six. We outscored them by eight. We won by two. There is literally a strong negative correlation a correlation coefficient of negative 0.732 for all the stat heads out there between the Warriors lead after three and the fourth quarter point difference in their last eight games, which is insane. It's, it's written. It's frustrating because, you know, we're capable. Our core is capable. But I don't know, man. It's, it's tough this year. You know, I think a move ha- might have to be made because we're healthy and it's, not, it's still not working. 
And again, I feel like the sense of urgency isn't there. I don't know what more they have to experience for them to truly, I guess, shift the energy. Uh, we're banking on things like, ooh, Steph has a new haircut. He's not playing fair now. Ooh, Steph threw his mouthpiece. We're not going to lose anymore. Something like that. But we can't rely on that. You know, something truly powerful and substantial has to change. Because I, I don't know what that could be or what that could entail. But something to shake things up. And for good reason. Just so, you know, there's clear indication that we're all in. We're locked in. And we're, like, ready to make a playoff push. Because right now... You know, how with how we're playing, the Warriors are primed for the play-in. And it is disgusting. We're, we're so much better than this. Something has to change. It's disgusting. Period. Yeah, like afford like afford a, an off Wiggins night. Afford a, an off clay night. Or like even sustain like sustain a Dante hamstring injury because he he strained it at the beginning of the year, right? And we went. What, what did we go? I mean, three. We went three and seven. Yeah, because on the season we're two and eight without Dante, right? So like, in the majority of those games were played when he was out with the hamstring. See what I'm saying? Like, we can't. Last year we could afford GP two with the elbow thing. We could afford Otto with his foot. This year, right, right, and 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 then the argument would be, okay, well. Wiggins, you know, he upped his level of play. Clay and, and everybody kind of, the core played better. But the problem is the league, at least from an 82-game standpoint, has caught up. Once we get to the playoffs, I think we can still sustain and maybe sustain an injury, maybe. But even then, like, the league is still better than it was last year. So it's it's still going to be a tough out. I, I like our chances better in the playoffs than against, you know, I mean, we played the Timberwolves last night without Gobert, without Cat. Like, all these teams without these, you know, their guys. It's just, there's so much going on on a night-to-night basis where you got D'Lo who can get hot. You got, uh, you know, Jaden McDaniels. You got Anthony Edwards. Nas Reed who can just go off for 24 and 13. Like, too much talent out there where... As in the play, as you know, in the playoffs, it slows down, less possessions, all that stuff. So yeah, like the the margin for error thing, I just think it's a real thing, and I I noticed it in November, and I just haven't lost this notion that it's just something we have to fill in. Whether it's the core guys upping their level of play, and when I say core guys, I'm talking about one through six. I'm not talking about Steph and Draymond and maybe you know Wiggins. Yeah, like it's got to be everyone. It's got to be Jordan's got to be on point. Wiggins and and Clay got to shoot the ball at a decent clip. They can't. Yeah, yeah, and I feel like last year we could afford, and part of it's the league conditions too, right? Like when you are allowed to play better defense, and when you are allowed to play more physical, you could afford more missed shots because you're able to get it back on the defensive end, right? You can afford shots will come and go. Shooting is make or miss, but defense stays constant, right? It's translatable in the in a playoff setting. This year, the conditions of the league, at least in the regular season, when I say they've caught up, they've caught up because the refs have allowed them to. The refs have allowed less physical play. They're calling more fouls. They're calling more, for, you know, the contact. They're not uh, encouraging defense as much. And it's hurt us. And so with that being said, like that 
that ha- that results in Wiggins and Clay and all these guys having to shoot the ball better, play good defense, be more uh, sharp in terms from an execution standpoint. And then uh, lastly, you look at from you know from an overall defensive standpoint, we're starting to put it together. We're we've played like a top ten defense the last month, uh, month and a half, and over the last three four weeks, we've played. At like a top five defense, like last like last like 15, 17 games. We've we've been like top five, top six defense defensively. So our defense has improved. The offense has, you know, has been the same all year. It's been like around around 15 to 16. But um yeah, I just think what but ultimately with with the Lake Gub and the Kerr thing, I I just think this is we are at a we are at a standstill. Like if I, first of all, we're recording this before the Nuggets game. The Nuggets game is in like three hours, right? So we don't even know who's going to play in that game. Like Steph and, and Draymond are questionable, and I just can't. I just don't like if they play. Are Steve going to play another seven man rotation like on a back to back? You see what I'm saying? Like where it gets dicey. And Steve doesn't want to play the young guys because playing the young guys would validate and it would empower the two timelines. It, it would basically sign off on what Lakeup wants. And Lakeup doesn't want to make a trade because he wants to keep the young guys. And it's just this cold war going on. I just think when the trade deadline passes, I think we're going to have better direction and better results. But... Yeah, I just think right now we're just at a point where it's just unorthodox for Steve Kerr to, to play. Unorthodox by his standards and his nature and historically his reputation for a guy who plays usually nine, ten-man rotations in regular season games in February to just go to a seven-man unit in a random game against Minnesota. Like, And he's done this the last few yeah, we were running Bielitsa, JTA, Damian Lee, as Spinoza was getting way too much run for this for the uh, fan base's liking, and also this idea of well, Jordan could be scaffolded his development and his overall uh, production and how effective he is on the court on both ends can be scaffolded and supported and protected by Otto by GP two. Right, you can put Otto in the corner, reliable shooter, make the right reads, rebound the ball effectively, be in the right spots defensively, all of those things. And then GP two point of attack can high Jordan defensively, run the floor, cut, be a be a lob threat. Uh, it, even Iguodala, a guy who's a secondary playmaker, make reads, rebound, defend, all those things. These glue guys, these Swiss Army knives, these connectors, and they just help Jordan out. Um. Damian Lee, just a guy who, yeah, he wasn't the greatest shooter in the world, but still hit at an okay clip. Decent cutter, very good cutter. Solid rebounder at his at his position. Uh, Bielitsa, stretch five. A guy who can actually underrate a defender when he's paired with competent defenders. Uh, play A superb playmaker at his spot. Like, you see what I'm saying? Just these skill sets. JTA, a, a Swiss Army knife, a defensive type who can rebound, Play make a little bit. I'm not saying he was a world beater, but he was a connector. We are not. We are missing the the same vets. And I know Steve likes to use this word word adults, 
you know, guys who can just settle down and be solid. And we just have Dante and Kaminga is rounding into form. But it's really just Jordan uh, as the only proven piece off the bench uh, outside of the others. And, and yeah, so what do you think? So what do you think about that? And then, you know, obviously we'll, we'll, we'll close it out on that note. Yep. And, and last point, right, because I like what you said there, to, to, to really summarize it. The name of the game, I always say, is sustainability. Seven-man rotation, or even eight-man rotation, where you are running three guards, essentially, uh, in the starting lineup, it's not sustainable, right? More is re- required of, you know, outside of the realm of their natural skill sets, to play at a certain level, to deliver at a clip from a rebounding standpoint, from a defensive standpoint, from a shot-making standpoint, to, to keep them on the floor. Uh, for, and, 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 and just overall, the what is required from a physical standpoint, it's just not sustainable, right? Like, it, like you said, it's not predictable. It's, it's placing a load on Steph and Clay. And Jordan to defend, to rebound, right? You're you're shifting everybody up a spot, and then it requires more of, of a Dante and and of a guy like Kaminga, and they've delivered, right? Like that's the all things considered, right? We talked about the bench at the beginning of the year. The bench is now a good bench, right? I think they're ranked last I checked, and this was a few games ago, but they're like the fourth best bench in net rating. Uh, since a certain period of time, like the last month or so, like they've improved, right? The numbers support it, uh, and the eye test does as well. The starters, right, are the ones who have dropped the ball lately. And when I say lately, I'm talking about like like over the last 15, 20 games. Like it's been that way. And ultimately, I, I think where where the issue lies is is Steve actually going to play a seven? Like, at some point, you cannot play three guards in a starting lineup and a seven-man, eight-man rotation for the next 30 games. It's just, right? Like, at some point, and I think the best course of action is to move Jordan back to the bench, start Loon, you know, build rhythm on both sides of the coin from a from a starter standpoint, from a, from a bench second unit standpoint, acquire a connector, acquire a guy like a Vanderbilt, acquire a guy like Thibel, who may not be as good as GP2, but, you know, possesses those similar attributes from a defensive standpoint. He's 6'5". You know, you can use him as a cutter. Just a guy who's reliable. Um, just this, It's just right now, it's too much is being asked of the core, of, of a core who's in their early to mid-30s. So... I'll be honest, after last night, because going into that game, I was really, I was putting at placing expectations. I was like, this game is going to tell me where they are. If they, had they won last night, I would have been fully convinced that even if they had lost tonight against the Nuggets, winning last night to me would was the marker, was the barometer of this team is making real, true, true strides in the right direction. And and that game to me was like, that's going to be a tough game to win on the road. Minnesota's played hot. They've been hot lately. They've played well to beat a team like that. Uh, and we were in position to, 
right? And then it's the same story. Everybody loves to to say it's one thing, but it's really not. It's everything. It's the bench doesn't have enough juice, right? You just don't have enough bodies who are reliable out there, at least in Steve Kerr's eyes, right? You could argue Jermichael and you could argue Lamb and whoever in spots, but Steve Kerr's not playing them for a reason, right? So from that standpoint, he's the coach. You you got you to gotta say, well, he doesn't believe for the long haul he, that they're going to be winning pieces. Whether he's right or not, that's his decision. So at that point, from from my in my philosophical opinion, you have to abide by what the coach believes and where he believes the team is. And if he's not willing to play these guys, you got to make a move for a guy who he is willing to play for or, or play play out put out there. And yeah, I just I, I just think at that point you can at least have a direction where that you're moving towards. Right now, it's like seven man rotation. You got a bunch of guys sitting on the bench, and and you got half half the fan base calling them dead roster spots, which they are, right? Like they are dead rot. Like Ryan Rollins not playing. Patrick Baldwin played for a bit. Now he's not playing. Iguodala's out. Wiseman not playing. He's healthy. He's not playing. Uh, Moody, he's healthy. He's like a 20, 21 year old play. Like he's not playing. It's like five dudes I just named. And then Jamichael, like, where do you go from here? Are you going to run this into the ground to prove a point? Uh, I just think someone has to make a move. Somebody has to give in and budge. And it's, and to me, it's got to be Lakeup. You got to listen to your coach. You got to appease whatever he believes is the moves that has to have to be made. Uh, Lakeup has to, you know, make a move for a guy who's reliable in Steve Kerr's eyes. And that's where we have to go from, 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 from here. Right. Like, I don't know if we go through the trade trade deadline and we don't make a move. Is Steve actually going to run the seven man rotation with, with Jordan starting it for the next two months, eight man rotation, even like even nine man. Like, you know, if we win that Minnesota game, I'm like, okay, we're at a point where I feel really good about this team. Like very, very good. You lose against Denver. You feel really good. Now I'm, I'm as unsure about this team as I've been all season. Like, this, I'm actually, I really don't know. Like, I'm not saying we, we won't win the title, but I'm not saying we will win the title. Like, the direction is just so up in the air because of all these decisions and all the friction, and I just don't know. I just don't know where they go from here, right? Like, where, the it's just too too much uncertainty. Too much uncertainty. And uh, they're going to have to figure out where, you know, they're going to figure out whether it's a move or whether it's uh, internally how they're going to have to, how they're going to recover. So. Dre, can I respond? I just want to speak on some of the main key talking points of today. Uh, and the last question you asked was about, you know, the lake of and uh, the coaching and the front office, like the issues there, right. Outside of the players. And I just want to ask, Lake of, we can all see that Lake of fancies himself kind of as like some kind of NBA expert, right? The question is, is he? Is he an expert of, you know, to any extent when it comes to NBA basketball related stuff? Or is he just some rich guy 
that was able to buy the team. And now it's just abusing that power. And just, he thinks he can be president. He thinks he can be the general manager. He thinks he can be the coach. He thinks he can be the analyst. And he thinks he can just do everything, right? So wait, so Jim, don't you think though, then to, to, to some extent, it's a positive thing that Steve Kerr is rebelling in the sense, right? Like it's a good thing that he's not giving in to Lacob and Lacob's two timeline philosophy. He's not playing the kids 20 minutes, 25. Like if Lacob, see, that's the thing is like with Lacob, he, he's the same guy who went to Wiseman's workout in Miami and was in awe right jaw dropped uh when it can you know just the flat the the in between you know the crossovers the jumpers uh the the tools and it's like he was the one that's scouting he was the one who was the the decision maker in ter- from the from a drafting standpoint let me simplify let me simplify yeah lakeup is a deluded nba casual who thinks he knows way more than he actually does and he has way too much power over what they're doing. And he is literally sabotaging his own team from certain success. This is like a classic example of just money buying too much power. He shouldn't have this much say. It's like, why do these basketball personnel that he's hired, why do they have their jobs if he's just gonna, you know, overrule whatever they, sh- they wanna do anyway? You know what I'm saying? This is, he needs to sit back and realize that he's doing way too much. Now, that's the bottom line for me. You talk about like, oh, who's in the right? Who? What What do the Warriors need to do? Like somebody needs to ego check this guy. He just has too much power. And he shouldn't because he's not an expert. He's not. He doesn't have the qualifications to be calling the shots for what the Warriors should be doing on and off the floor. He's the guy who okays the money situation and pays for it. And the fans can be grateful for the money that he spent. But what gives him the qualifications to be like, oh, you should start Jordan Poole. You know what I'm saying? Like yeah. Shadow broke Shadow broke that in the spaces, right? He said that Jordan Poole or his manager or somebody went to Lakeup and talked about the need for him to start or whatever the case may be, right? And he shouldn't have that kind of influence. This is at the end of the day, it's all a matter of what's best for the team. It's not, you know, whatever Joe Lakeup feels like doing, and then everybody suffers the consequences of whatever it is that he wants for the team, that's, whether it's good or bad. So the answer is very clear. Lakeup needs to be, like, he needs to check his ego. That That's the biggest problem right now. And, you know, you were speaking on kind of Steph Curry needing to take, you know, ownership of the fourth quarter, clutch time, and it's on him and all these things. And, you know, it's not that I disagree with that, but the team is fundamentally putting him in position to kind of fail. We already talked about, you know, the which lineups are a net positive and which lineups are a net negative. And they're running lineups that are like minus 17. It's proven to be terrible. And then you expect Steph Curry to come through. Like, how does that make any sense? Steph Curry is 34 years old. And what he's been doing, he's mostly been a hero this season. At age 34 to be doing what he's doing, it's unprecedented. Name another 34-year-old at point guard who averages 30 points on 50-40-90 shooting, six rebounds, six assists, just doing everything for the team, like second or third rebounder as the point guard. He's doing it all. And yet, you know, they, they surround him with six dead roster spots, like you said before. Rollins, Wiseman, Moody, 
uh, Jermichael Green, Jerome, Andre, who played, what, three games this season? Uh, PBJ, who I like. I want them to play more, but he's not getting burned. It's like they're not playing these guys. There's like six dead roster spots, yet the, it is super clear that the Warriors have needed that connective piece at forward all along, that out of Porter Jr. replacement, and they haven't done it. I've been calling for that since like game five, right? You know me. I've been I've been calling for a need to change for a very long time. When people are saying it's too early, oh, you're overreacting. Da, da, da. The problems were there from the beginning, and it's still it's still there, right? So that's the one problem that they still haven't solved. Everything else, I feel like they had it all figured out. But for some reason, they created a brand new problem that they didn't even have. And they don't need to be going through this by inserting uh, Jordan Poole into the starting lineup. And the eye test and the stats show that the results are very negative when he's in that starting lineup with everybody else. And yet they're doing that. And yet they expect Steph Curry to come through anyway, regardless of any and all circumstances. Why is Steve Kerr uh, continuously running these questionable experimental lineups when there's you know, less than, what, 30 games left to go, and it's winning time. Why is it that the Warriors are 15th in offense, which is basically saying that they have a mediocre offense? Why is Steph Curry going through uh, 15 possessions and not involved in 11 of them? How does that make any sense, right? So all all of this to say, it's like the conditions are just so far from ideal, from top to bottom. And the answers are all kind of there. I think the Warriors are super close uh, and they've been super close for a while in terms of being more complete. I mean, you look at the kind of the macro of Steph Curry's last several games, okay? They lost the game last night, but they were on a three game winning streak prior to that. OKC, Toronto, Memphis, like he was obviously the primary reason why they won those games. And Brooklyn, easily winnable game, they lost it playing bad lineups. Uh, Boston, they should have won that game. Both those games, right? They had sizable leads that they ended up giving up because of other deficiencies within the roster, within the rotation, okay? So if they had won those two games, they would be on, they would have won six straight games, right? So that shows you how close the Warriors actually are uh, in terms of being able to go on a run. And in terms of kind of, oh, this is unprecedented what's happening to this team. To me, not necessarily, because two years ago, this is exactly what happened. You just couldn't find any consistency. They couldn't win three straight games for a majority of the season until they went on that 15th five burst towards the end of the season two years ago, right? Just to salvage their season, uh, ultimately, and they ended up you know, making it into the play-in. And this season, what's going on, they're not far from that situation, but they're also not far from just completely and utterly fixing everything because they have enough pieces uh, to be dominant, but they're missing that one extra piece. And then, and then when they, once they scrap this Jordan Poole in the starting lineup stuff, I think they have a lot of things figured out. You look at, we looked at a lot of uh, five man rotations and the net rating last night and today. Right. And I'll give you one from, for the bench unit that just, so far is destroying teams. And that is with Jordan Poole, Clay Thompson, Dante DiVincenzo, Jonathan Kuminga, and Draymond Green. That lineup right there has a net rating of plus 28. So 
we have solutions right in front of us. We already know the starting lineup with pool out of there, their net rating is plus 21, right? So they have solutions here. They just need that one. They need to balance uh, the guards and the forwards. It's, it's too guard centric right now. They need to pick up that extra piece and give up a young player or whatever the case may be in order to get some value back for this season because they're gunning for that fifth championship. It is not to be taken lightly. You need to uh, optimize, fortify, and uh, maximize uh, the potential of your roster going into the playoffs and just saying that, oh, they're fine. They don't need this. That They'll f f find a way to figure it out because they have Steph Curry is that's arrogance. That's unnecessary arrogance. And the team just hasn't been good enough uh, for you to say, oh, everything's going to be fine if you do nothing. And so it, this is at the end of the day, it's all on link up to okay the notion and the idea of moving these young guys. They already have enough young guys. Jordan Poole is a young guy, and this has already caused enough drama for the team as it is. And so you don't need three, four, five young guys on the roster. Uh, a bunch of them you're not even using anyway. This is a total waste of roster space. This is a total waste of the opportunity that is in front of the Warriors to maximize their situation so that they can continue to win championships. You know, I love a lot of what you said there. Um, on the Steph Curry front, I will say that I've never... So that's why I don't want to pin it on Steph, only on Steph, right? Like, to me, Steph is a big part of it, right? You, it starts and ends with your best player. So the same praise you award him, you have to also, uh, you know, offer the same criticism. But I've always been of the mindset that at the end of the day, it's a multivariate issue. It's always multiple things, many multiple factors, uh, a multitude of different things that go into a result and an outcome. So Steph is the is the primary uh, is is the primary factor here, but ultimately there's a lot of things. And like you said, the roster construction is one of them. The direction is one of them. The direction of balancing what Steve wants and what uh, Lake of wants and ultimately it shouldn't be about that it should be about what's best for what, the team. Steve, what Steve Kerr wants and and yeah what's best for the team ultimately no, not even what so, Steve Kerr wants Trey it's all about what what is best for the team well, well that's what I'm saying though but what Steve Kerr wants is probably what's best for the team he doesn't want like he doesn't want Wiseman and Moody and whoever on the roster he wants vets I know what you're saying you're saying like you I know you think sometimes he'll go overboard with the motion stuff and his decision-making, whatever. I get all that from your standpoint. But what I'm saying is at the end of the day, he wants to win. So, like, we just got to pick a direction first, right? And once we pick that direction, I, I'm okay with living and dying by Steve Kerr. Like, I, we, we did it last year. It worked out well. Um, my issue is picking a direction that one that is sustainable and one that you know it, it's it's got to be something where we have a margin for error we can absorb injury we can absorb off nights and it right now we're running seven eight man rotations on back to backs like i have more questions and more uncertainty about the whole thing this whole team and the structure of it and 
decision making and all that stuff now than I did all season. Like that loss last night, I think is a big loss. Like it, it was a, it's a big loss. If they really had turned the corner, I think they win that game. I just think they got to prove it now. Now to me, they got to prove it. They got to prove I'm not. I'm I'm out of the business of giving benefit of the doubt. Like they got to prove to me that. Uh, they got to earn it. They got to earn it again. Like, I'm not denying that they're four-time champs. We know this. They're the, they're the defending champs. Like, I'm not questioning their pedigree. I'm saying this particular team, this particular season, I'm not convinced uh, if the condi- if these conditions especially are what they look like, look the same in the playoffs. Like, man, some of these series might go seven games. Like, six, seven games. So... Last year, half our series went five. Some, a couple of them should have probably even be a, been a sweep. But this season, uh, I don't know, man. Like it's not, it's not looking great. Like the margin for error is thin. The the direction is up in the air, and I don't see it sustainable. I don't see this being sustainable, right? You have to hope and for a trade. You have to hope for a trade of- because. That's the yeah. only. That's the only thing. And I like that some names are floating out there. Caruso is floating out there. Thibault's floating out there. The Warriors are in the rumor mill, which is a good thing. Uh, but ultimately, uh, they are looking for that Otto Porter Jr. replacement from last year, and they really are that piece away. I truly believe that. And so I don't love that they're continu- continuously looking for guards because Caruso and Thibault are both guard. They're they're in the wing spot, right? But they're not power forwards, right? And that's what they need. So I would like to see a name come up in that regard and they, them really going for that. And I think that will really, you know, it has the potential to make or break the season overall. Absolutely. No, I understand. agree. I know this went longer than we wanted it to, but this is only our second time doing it. So yeah. uh, we'll, uh, we'll get better, but I think, yeah. All right. Well, I'll end it here. And, uh, I appreciate everybody for tuning in, though, and uh, we'll probably have one. We'll definitely have one next week. I don't know uh, if I mean it'll actually be after the trade deadline, probably right. I mean, around then it'll be like right after the trade deadline. So we'll we'll probably reflect on that type of stuff, and we have a few games in between. Like we play the Mavs and we play the Thunder on like Monday, so we'll uh, we'll we'll uh, revisit then. But I appreciate it. See you guys. Thank you.